This is the Made It in Music podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 140. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. Hello there, my name is Logan Crockett, and I am so very glad to welcome you to another episode of the Made It in Music podcast. Quick reality check. If you want to be in the music industry, then hopefully you already know that it won't be easy. As a matter of fact, for many of you who are on the inside, sometimes the goal of just surviving in the music industry for a few more weeks can seem like a major uphill battle and accomplishment if you pull it off. And that is exactly what Brandon Harrington, our guest today, has built his mission around. He has had to learn the hard way how to survive inside of the music industry, and now he's actually a fellow podcaster, and he has his own podcast called Surviving the Music Industry, which you should totally, absolutely check out. Brandon has tons of experience both on the road and in the studio. He has worked with artists like Point of Grace, Cider Profits, Amy Grant, etc., and today he is here to tell you exactly how you can make the music dream a reality. Here on the Made It Music Podcast, we've got my friend Brandon Harrington, who is the host of one of my favorite podcasts, Surviving the Music Industry, and we're going to dive into your story today. Thanks for stopping by the studio. Thanks. I love that. I'm glad it's your favorite. It's. <laughs> I said it's one of my favorites. Don't, okay, I was about to say, don't a Nashville fa- me right now. A favorite. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Have to clarify that. I like a lot of podcasts. It's like picking your favorite child. You can't oh, that's really easy that. to do. Yeah. See, I do have a joke about that. Every parent does have a favorite child. <laughs> And if it, and if you're lying to yourself that you don't, you are lying to yourself. <laughs> do you have more than one kid? I have one kid, so it's easy to say easy that I do have a favorite. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And you know, I was thinking about this the other day too, which I know that we're getting off the rails for hey, sure. But that you know, kids are like sometimes mean. If they were actual life size human beings, yep. like would you be friends with that same attitude? Like my kid is a jerk. There's no <laughs> way that we would be adult friends, like with the jerk eeness that he is now. You whatsoever. are you're totally right. I think Isn't we, that a weird thing? We have so many moments in our house that we're like, yes, this is just absolute utter insanity. <laughs> yeah. Every single day. So um let's dive into your story a little bit. What was the moment that music impacted you? for the first time, and you knew that you had to pursue it? It was the moment, well, my grandfather, really cool story, he opened for Hank Williams Sr. And it was something, you know how like in small towns, like everybody just has, well, oh, Hank ate a whole pie in a tornado at one point. (laughs) Everybody has like that in their town. Like that was my family, my grandfather. He had this one moment. And so music has always been in my life. My sisters played piano, and uh, but nobody understood like business or industry. And so it was, and I played violin like at six years old. Um, so it's always been a part of my life, but it didn't become real until I discovered the guitar and distortion. And 
especially production and especially how do they do that? And so just like any typical kid at Southern Arkansas or East Texas of like discovering rock music or just even butt rock music of distortion and guitars, <laughs> like that was life changing to me. So I had a buddy, Cole Gordon, he played guitar and he showed me a couple of things and then I was off to the races. So that was the moment. I, I yeah. remember my first exposure to how to get that sound oh yeah my first guitar was a uh i don't even know if you've heard of these but it was called a terminator and <laughs> no it was, from, I... it was from jc penny oh i like, love it the catalog, That's amazing. and it had a built-in speaker and oh yeah if you strummed hard enough you got distortion <laughs> yeah, of course you had to strum hard enough yeah and like as you're starting out that's all you that's do that's all you do so you, it was just you amazing. want to break a string exactly so better better believe that thing was turned up and then the second was i had a pv eight inch amp and the distortion was a button that you yeah pushed. of course it was on or off classic <laughs> so when you're learning it smells like teen spirit exactly and flip flip the button <laughs> Did that lead you into like starting a band or what, what did you do with that? Yeah, it eventually led to the thing of I think everybody gets to a point like they just want to do something with their friends. And that's kind of all I had was like friendship and I wanted to hang out with buddies. And so it, it's the classic situation of, OK, who owns a bass? Well, I have one in the basement. So do you know how to play? No. I'll figure it out. Perfect. You're the right. bass player. Yeah. And so we just grabbed this guy who was a drummer, and we were just learning, like, songs that we liked. And especially where I'm from, that country music wasn't – it is a big deal, but, like, rock music. And the, we're talking the MTV age, and we're still talking about radio age, too. And all we had was classic rock stations and country stations. And so our exposure to music was really radio and, like, hit songs. And so I, I really say I'm a huge eclectic fan of music, but then at the same time, like there's something about radio songs that, if, especially if they're a hit, there's a reason why they're a hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I've always been driven to that or just kind of grown closer to that. So did that, like, what was the path that you took with that? Did, you, did it like take you, like, did you go to college? How, how did you sort of navigate your journey through trying to figure out what your place was. Yeah, so eventually, like those group of buddies, just like any other band situation, they just didn't keep their commitments. And so I was just solely like, I just want to play in a band. There's something burning inside me, and it's not heartburn, of like, what, <laughs> what, who is doing this? And there was a local Christian music band. I didn't care what genre it was. And so they invited me to come hang out with them and play. And I go to their church gymnasium, like where they practiced, and lo and behold, it was a gig, and nobody told me. And I didn't know any of the songs whatsoever. And so I was sounding like Randy Rhodes, like on a Fender Squire, and it was really bad. And then that is the moment I said, this is the story of my life, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, just uh, foreshadowing, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah. But it at least said to me of like, this is where I'm going for the next X amount of years. And then I was a huge Randy Rhodes fan, played for Ozzy, and he's a classical guitarist. And then when I heard classical guitar, I thought, oh, that's different. I don't even know what that is. Mm. And then I thought, well, to be just as good as Randy, I should study classical guitar. Mm. And then I got a full ride at uh, University of Central Arkansas, 
And then I got to a certain point with my instructor, Smokey Emerson. He's he's an amazing teacher, and he's still there. But then uh, I got to a certain point, I needed to start taking lessons from Lily Afshar, which her claim to fame, she's like one of the last surviving members of Andra Segovia. Mm. And so I'm a protege to that. It yeah. sounds cool, yeah. but it means nothing. No, that's <laughs> awesome, though. Yeah. So that's kind of how you came up. That that was the That was the roots, so to speak. Yeah. Did you have any point in your life that was like a turning point where you like knew that, okay, this is, this is a thing. Like, it sounds like it was a little bit of a journey trying to, to work out, you know, what your place was. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I do kind of harp on, even on my show is like identity, because when you think you have it figured out, you're, you're going to be thrown a curveball, whatever that means. Like from, uh, a religious aspect, life aspect, like something's going to happen. And then what are you going to do next? Like after whatever that is, are you going to choose to be X this, X that, or even where do you place yourself? And so my journey opened up a lot of ways. I went to, I did like reality TV, especially like American Idol was hot. So I did America's Next Greatest Band. Yeah. Tell me about that. Cause I, I was actually funny enough in my old band, I think I was at the sh- taping of one of those shows oh, in man. LA. I would love to know like what you thought because we all hated it <laughs> because it was the America's best cover band and no band wants to be that. Yeah. But if anything, that allowed me into a complete different avenue of production and TV. And there's anybody that really knows me that I am a media consumer. I love all things media. And I mean, from Game of Thrones all the way to the newest record or whatever. I love media. And um, that was a callus for a lot of things. But for the band, Cypress Creek specifically. And that was the one that was on America's... Yeah, it was a country thing. And so, again, I got to a point in my life like, well, I just want to play in a band. I'm just going to do something. And that's another thing I kind of harp on too. Like there's so many dreamers. I have two things about dreamers. I kind of hate that description because dreams can either be nightmares or you're just always asleep. There is not enough doers in this world. And that's, that always bugs me in this creative space. And that's always set me apart is that I love to dream, but what's made me different is that I will actually do it. And so the idea, something happened. I said, okay, country, let's do it. Mixed with rock. It could have been Jason Aldean at the time. I don't know. And so a year later, through rehearsals, just local gigs, and then working connects, we got the audition and then got through like the first round. That was it. But no love loss. What happened after that show? Like, what did you do? Yeah, I got to a point of, is this where my life is going to be? You know, you kind of have an uh, existential crisis, yeah. but it's weird to say that, especially yeah. when you're 25 or 26. <laughs> like, you haven't lived life right. at all. How did you even know that? Yeah. But to a 25, 26-year-old, you're supposed to have it figured out. No, none whatsoever. Nick Bray taught me that, but that was later on. Mm-hmm. But I was supposed, um, and you know Nick from yeah. Proper Management. Yeah, totally. Amazing. We just think the episode's uh, episode 126. So. Amazing guy. But that was the moment of like, really, what am I supposed to do? Is Am I supposed to be at a greater thing? Because I had this conversation with God at one point in my youth of like, man, I just want to do something in music and help people. It was never specifically like playing or performance, but that's all I ever knew. 
And so I got to that point of like, well, I'm going to go help people. I'm going to do some philanthropy missionary work. And so we went to the Philippines. And then we spent a year there. And around month two of our time in the Philippines, there a Filipino guy came up to me and asked me if I knew anything about music. I had no idea who this guy was, and there was really no social media presence for me at the time, especially as a player. And I thought, okay, I guess I'm doing something in music. And so I ended up doing a lot of stuff regionally, on the island at least, um, for them and a lot of different stuff. And I said, okay, I'm here. And then 2010 hit. Anybody who has a memory bank knows that everybody got hit in 2010, especially nonprofits went through the crapper. And so that just kind of meant I we got to come home. And so I emailed five people that I kind of knew. And one was David Hodges, keyboard player from Evanescence. Uh, Tom Hemby is a legendary Nashville session cat. Uh, another guy from Evanescence, Chris Allen, he's from Arkansas. And we had a really good relationship because we went to the same college and we always thought, Let's do something. He's an American Idol winner, yeah, like yeah. season eight, I think. And, um, and I said, guys, you guys know what I can do as of right now. And this is maybe where I want to go. Where should I go? Because in my head, I always thought L.A. is going to be the situation. Like, that's my scene, my vibe. And I remember David saying that if, <laughs> if you want to eat and you want to work, go to Nashville. And he was living in <laughs> LA at the time. And I just lost a hundred pounds. And I was just like, well, do I have to? I don't, I don't have to eat that much anymore. And, uh, yeah. So I met Tom Hemby and I got a job at Target. That was like the, the thing that at least help pay the bills because we had no money. Like literally, and this is something you have to realize like in music too, especially community or even geographically speaking. I really feel like if you move to a different place or just even community, it's like starting all over unless you have credibility or you know somebody there. Sure. And I only knew like a handful of people in Nashville. So I literally had to start all over. Everything I built from reality TV, everything. So I got a job at Target mm. and unloading the truck at 4 a.m. So I lived in Brentwood to drive to or Bellevue to drive to Brentwood Target, which is 10 miles. So I rode a bike because we only had one car. We were yeah. missionaries and a musician. No, yeah, no money. Not loaded, bro. <laughs> and so I did that until Working Connects to work at a like music job, teaching music. And I thought, yeah, this is going to be it. This is at least the catalyst to start networking, talking to people yeah. and getting to know people. Start Because I knew and I had the foresight that I at least need to be in a place where there is creativity and that people are basically doing the same thing that I want to do. But I knew also the most important thing is to make friends, not connections. Because I learned that the hard way. Yeah, that's well well said. Can you define the difference? Man, like when I first moved to town, I had no idea what network meant until somebody said it's a poisonous word. And then, you know, the more I started really thinking about it and especially correlating that to connections, that's exactly what it is. Like to find somebody to use them to elevate yourself, you know, and I burned so many bridges and before moving to Nashville. And it's a learning process. Like everything you do 
in music or even in life in general, it's a learning process of what to do and what not to do. Yeah. So I learned pretty quick, make friends, not war. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And so to me, that's the difference. It's not to use that person to elevate yourself, but it is surprising the opposite. And it's kind of a biblical standpoint too. Yeah, yeah, totally. If you elevate them, right. how much that really elevates you, but that cannot be your purpose. Right, right. It's got to come from an organic, original place. It's like the old uh, Zig Ziglar adage. Like, And, and I, I actually do believe in this, and I think it's biblical, but yeah, if you, you, you can get anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. Yeah, 110%. And so especially like if you're new in the town and especially that's kind of the catalyst for surviving the music industry because you know i knew some people and the other people that are kind of working behind the scenes we all kind of knew people but we just didn't know how to do things and what we found and what we thought was interesting were people's stories of basically the same thing and they just and everybody and you know this too everybody's story is so unique to them the entertaining aspect of I'm trying to think of like Brent Mason, for example, being discovered by Chet Atkins. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like he was playing at a club with chicken wire and people throwing beer about, you know, the, the whole Blues Brothers thing. And Chet Atkins saw something in Brent Mason and then brought more people to the next show. And then Brent Mason became the most recorded guitar player in the 90s. Yeah. And that's what I found of surviving the music industry of, you know, anybody else that talks to Brent Mason would be like, so, or Brent Mason would say, uh, I moved to town and then I became the most recorded guitar player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> not, not exactly that, that simple. No, no, none whatsoever. And that's what we realize with surviving the music industry. And I value the most is that people pour their heart into their stories. And it's one-on-one. -on -one. We're the only two people in the room every single time. I've had people cry. I've had people had like panic attacks of like reliving certain situations. And but they're happy to go there because the thing about surviving the music industry, they feel like they're still surviving. Like no matter who I talk to, that you know, put X songwriter in your head, like Josh Osborne, for example. Like yeah, he went I, to I loved your episode with him. It was dude, one of my favorites. He went through like two or three bankruptcies. Yeah. And went in a dark place. Shane McEnany was the same way. Yeah. You know, he went in a very dark place. And uh, people just need to know that, especially if you're the new kid in town, you're not alone. Yeah. Like, no matter your struggle, no matter, you know, if you're dealing with alcoholism, you're dealing with whatever-ish-ism you can yeah. think of. Yeah. Like, these people that you hold to high esteem, they're exactly like you. And if they could do it, you can freaking do it too. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I, I love that. So it sounds like that was the impetus, and you sort of said it in the beginning of the conversation. Mm -hmm. what, what you always wanted to do was you wanted to do something with music, and you wanted to help people. So was that the impetus for starting the podcast? Yeah, pretty much. It, it was a point of I'm always trying to think, what can I do different? Always. I am always on that forethought of – what is everybody else doing? And then how can I set myself apart? Because again, I'm from a town called Ignorant Hill where there's more <laughs> cows than people, okay? Yep, yep. And I was the kid with blue hair and spikes and wanted to be a member of Mudvayne. <laughs> I always wanted to set myself apart and be different for a specific <laughs> reason. Yeah. Um, that 
just to be noticed, especially if it's entertainment. Yeah. You know, it gets tricky and it gets sure. dangerous. Sure. As you know, as far as you want to go. Yeah, you can but, go to shock value. Oh, and yes. It's, yeah. And so I got to a point where, okay, everybody's doing Instagram videos. Yeah. Everybody is taking part of YouTube. What is Nashville not doing? Hmm. Podcast. Because people say Nashville's a tenure town, and they always relate it to a career situation, which I think that's ridiculous. How, how do you mean? Beca- okay, so especially when people say, well, it's a tenure town. You're going to be a songwriter. It's going to take 10 years to get your foot in the door and do this and do this. No. Walker Hayes moved the town and knew nobody. Yeah. And he got a publishing deal year one. Does it happen all the time? No. Right. Dude just hustled and yeah. he did his thing. And yeah. he had natural talent. Yeah. But yeah. he hustled. And yeah. it's the same for other people too. You have to do it, not just dream it. Yeah, yeah. And so... I just had to do something different and podcasts were a new thing, even though podcasts have been around in LA for the past eight years, probably at that point. Right. Or NPR, you know, exactly. Yeah. And I thought nobody's doing podcasts. And I discovered like Mark Marin and a bunch of different people that were just really killing it. And I thought, why, why can't this exist here? And there were about three or four of us, and I think there were only three of us like that started at the same exact time early in the podcast game. Which in was Nashville. like what, two thousand fifteen? So this is our fourth year. Yeah. Yeah. 14 to 15. We started developing it around 2014. I mean, Bobby Bones didn't even do anything. Yeah, he didn't yeah. have his podcast yeah. whatsoever. And I mean, this was, and that's what I'm always striving to be is to think a little bit different. And that's where I think Nashville has maybe the issue of it's a 10 year town of gravitating to new ideas or just anything that's new. Well, we don't know yet. We're going to yeah. test the waters. We're going to figure that out for a little bit. You know, uh, I'll keep using Walker Hayes. Again, yeah. like people thought his songwriting style was the thing of that doesn't fit the mold. Yeah. That doesn't make sense right now because Kenny Chesney, Jason Aldean, Keith Urban are doing their things. Sure. And so he was so different that nobody really got it. Yeah. But 10 years maybe later, he is who he is now. And it's the same for any other artist you can probably think of. But that's how I felt about podcasts is that there were about three or four of us that started – I was trying to think. Donald Jenkins is a podcaster. I don't know Donald. Nashville hits Collecting Dust. Oh, yeah. I've heard about it. Somebody told me about that. We started at the same exact time. And then uh, another guy, it was kind of a comedic thing. And so Donald and I are kind of the last surviving members. Like, I feel like the original podcasters. Like from when you started. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I just, it really came from a point of, I want to help people. Yeah. But then also at the same time, (laughs) <laughs> it's a little selfish, but what can I do that's different than what everybody else is doing? Sure. Because podcasting is like a marketing asset. Sure. You know, and you can spread ideas and you can have conversations just like this. Yeah. Like, how did you do this? What is that? Yeah. And uh, that's what I valued about podcasting is that you're being invited to a person's most sacred place, like in their coffee shop. On the road, you're yeah. a part of their lives. Yeah, yeah. And especially for surviving the music industry, it's so vulnerable. Sure. That people really do see the value of, oh, he did that. I can do that. Nick Perret is right. like crying. He, which he did. He cried yeah, yeah. on that episode. Wow. But he's crying. It happens. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, it's just so emotional driven, and yeah. that's what I love. So can you talk a little bit about – again, I wanted to have you on just purely out of – sometimes my podcast guest choices are for selfish reasons of like I just people I just want to meet. Oh, dude, And so for thing. you, like I wanted to meet you because I love your podcast. It's like therapy almost. To listen to, I, really? I don't know. If, I don't I'm know so if, jaded, and that's so like. That's well, I don't so, know if it feels like that for you. And I was going to ask, like, <laughs> when you're approaching it after having done how many episodes up till now? I mean, you four seasons, easily over a hundred, over a hundred yeah. episodes in. There has to be some commonalities that you're like. Everybody's got a different story, but we all have the same story. Yeah. Like what? What are those commonalities? That's the uniqueness, I think, with as being a player, that as like former profession, vocation, yeah. you know, being a guitar player or multi-instrumentalist is that you pick up patterns and that's the fastest way you're really going to make it on X instrument. Mm. And that's something I've always been really good at is picking up patterns within people. And so the patterns usually in people's career that I've picked up is that they've all been hurt, but what did they do next? Mm. That was the game changer. I learned basically the same mentality I learned it in college that, you know, you hit a bad note. You know, what's the most important note in music? Have you ever heard that? What is the most important note in music? It's the next note. Uh. So even if you make a mistake or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the, the thing next is that you're going to do. Yeah. And so that's pretty consistent. And I also have a theory, too. I have, I feel like it's a very Christian vernacular thing, mm. and I'm calling it the proximity theory. Mm. And I really want to do an experiment one day. I really want to take <laughs> a really bad songwriter. I'm talking like <laughs> Smelly Cats version, okay? And I want to put them in an environment of proximity of Shane McAnally, Natalie Hemby, Josh okay. Osborne, and see what happens within a year if the quality bar just exactly raises. just by living yeah. in proximity or being around your tribe being around a clan being around people that elevate you really how far can that take you yeah and the the opposing force is that you take a really good songwriter but you keep them closed off you isolate you yeah. isolate them yes what's going to happen in that career and i really truly believe especially with the guests that i've seen they've been around Good, great, amazing people in personality, mm. in uh, life, and but also musicality. Yeah. So I, I, those are the couple of patterns that I've picked up. With those, it's like how – I love that analogy. It's like what's the most important note in music, the next note. How have the sort of survivors, if you want to call it that, or whatever it is, how have they – bounce back like what what are some of the ways that some of the guests have or you yourself even and uh, kind of recovering from like heartbreaks or like failures like just advice to somebody who's maybe in that moment right now yeah yeah i'm trying to think of a specific guest because the show is not about me yeah. whatsoever it is a hundred percent about them and their story mm. and i just have something stupid to say in between <laughs> but I, I think about natalie hemby's fresh on my mind i just talked to her so she's going to be on the new season and nobody knew this or i didn't know this but you know she wrote you know some of the catalog from a star is born mm. she wrote uh, a bunch of songs for like little big town pontoon yeah. miranda lambert so on so forth so for her it was proximity because legendary family, but then also being around good people. But that's not going to be her saving grace yeah. whatsoever. She had talent, but that's not going to be her saving grace. Because she quit music 
for 10 years and worked at customer service for Comcast. <laughs> of all places. <laughs> of all places. And I don't know if they're your sponsor or whatever, but we don't have to go <laughs> no. into that. No. But nobody loves Comcast. Very true. <laughs> okay. And she got the grunt of it every single day at customer experience or service or whatsoever and did not write songs for X amount of years. And it's the same, kind of the same story for Shane McAnally, too. You know, he quit for like 15 years. No, he didn't quit, but like he excommunicated himself from Nashville. Yeah, he moved to L.A. and yeah. did, the, did that whole thing yeah. out there. But the, yeah. those people, they knew what they wanted to do. They said, I am a songwriter. I just don't know what that is. Yeah. I don't know what the, they They had something in their heart, in their mind of just keep going. Mm. And musicians are the bravest people I know. Yeah. I truly believe that. And that's why I really built this platform because they're amazing people. Yeah. Because in, in nothing in uh, entrepreneurship or just in vocationally in the music industry doesn't make sense in any other sector. Right. You'll spend 15 years until you get a song cut. You know what I mean? Like yeah. any other sector, you spend 15 years, like you're building a, a whole career. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so that is brave, yeah. stupid or brave, you know? <laughs> well, it's a passion. I mean, that's, that's 110%. There's something behind it, but then also you lose the passion and they yeah. do. And I'm discovering that for myself and, you know, the surviving the music industry part, especially when I do monologues, it's a lot about me because I'm on that discovery of where am I at in life? Because I'm the survivor and surviving the music industry. Sure, sure. And I'm talking to them about their life and like, how do they even do this or whatever and things that they pick or drop along the way in conversation. But it's a process. Yeah. And so what I would say to people is that don't ask for permission mm. for anything because you always feel like you're asking somebody, hey, sh can I write the song and put it out? Or should mm. I put it out? That's another way it looks at. But I feel like you're asking permission from somebody to do something. Yeah, yeah. Just do it. Just do yeah, it. Yeah, totally. That's the Gary V mentality. Right. But, but, you know, especially where music is now, it's the Drake mentality. Yeah. It's going to be another 10 years till Nashville catches on to that mentality. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, just do it. Yeah, yeah. Just do it. Don't wait. Sure. That's good. So in all of these conversations that you've been able to have and just people that you've been able to meet through the show, which, I mean, that, that's the other thing. It's just such a great platform for, for connecting with people. And Dude, I had no and, idea I would meet these people. Yeah. That's the crazy. And, you know, even being in music, yeah. I, I am still such a fan at sure. heart. And I get so nervous in front of legends. Like, I had talked to Jeff Hanna from Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and he okay. was part of the Southern California yeah. movement of the 60s and 70s. So and was that like a starstruck moment for you? Or? A little bit, just because of I'm just a huge music history fan. Sure. And just the movement itself was just kind of like, what? <laughs> and then like Stella Parton being yeah. almost like the precursor of Loretta Lynn yeah. of like, you know, you know, Loretta Lynn may not have had the pill unless – Stella Parton wrote Ode to Olivia because everybody hated Olivia Newton-John mm. winning Country Music Artist of the Year because she's this pop it's artist. country, yeah. Yes, and she was just like, she's just as country as me. And sure. we're talking about a Parton. Yeah, You yeah. know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. The country of country. Yeah. And so 
these people that bring up these tidbits of music history, something that should be captured. And yeah, I still get nervous to this day. Yeah. <laughs> so as we're kind of rounding out the conversation, I do want to dive into just how did you create the podcast in the first place? Because I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, man, should I give it a go at this thing? And it's not as hard as most people think, but I do want to dive into it. It's not, it's not hard. It takes a lot of discipline. I do want to clarify that. Yeah. People don't know. It depends on your level. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. hundred percent. But yeah, your question. So though. we're going to, we're going to do a deep dive into that specifically. If you're cool with that, to discuss that I mean, people can give find secrets? that. Give no. secrets. Pull back the curtain. No. <laughs> so on Nashville. <laughs> yeah, totally. hundred percent. I'm all about people's success. I don't care who it is. Yeah. Anybody. And so if people want to check that out, they can go to madeitmusic.com, go to the show notes page for this episode. But um, man, kind of the last question, and you could take this any number of ways, but are there any identifiable tips, strategies, mental frameworks, hacks, so to speak, if there are any, to having longevity in music? Things Things that you've seen, things that people have talked about on the podcast, things that still work for you? Yeah, I've talked to tons of people. There's kind of a a Tim Ferriss aspect to my show that I really don't capture, but it's something people should pick up, that there are practices. And I do kind of poke at that in conversations that some people meditate. And, you know, either that means prayer or just sit in a quiet room. Some people have diets or whatever that they lean toward. Yeah, there are these kind of ritualistic aspects that people do have. But what I feel like the biggest pattern that everybody has is time. Either they they knew it or they didn't know it Mm. is that they knew if they just stuck it out and they just did it. You're already winning. Yeah. Because just by sheer Darwinism of the music industry, it's going to cut people out automatically. Sure. You know what I mean? And so if they just stuck with it long enough or just kept their foot in the door, you know, whatever that means for them, like they won. Yeah. So good. That's awesome. Well, uh, are you ready for our lightning round? We'll start with first question. Number one, your first band name. <laughs> uh, at his feet, which is not <laughs> as good. I, mean, I Actually, my first band name, I think, was like severe tire damage because that crew of guys like from Ignorant Hill of trying to figure things out. It's a band name that Robin Williams used in Mrs. Doubtfire. STD. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Severe tire damage. Severe tire damage. Wow. We were just trying to figure it out, man. And that's the story of my Nobody life. Nobody told you that it was STD? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. That's nothing amazing. whatsoever. Favorite music documentary? Uh, Eagles. Hands down. That is the greatest put together anthology of breaking down a band's life. And I think what I, I even do in surviving the music industry yeah. on that personal level and I think there's just there's there's some correlation there. But I just watched like Leaving Neverland. I don't know how much you want to go into that. that it's, I've heard I've heard it's crazy. It's, it's it's one of those that I'm like, I got to be in the right mind frame. Do not. I watched it. So it's collectively five hours long. Yeah. I sat and watched it five hours straight. Man. It ruined my you entire probably want to break day. it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's my advice to anybody. Yeah. It's a great doc. So watch the Eagles. Watch the Eagles. Okay. Uh, favorite podcast? Uh, hmm. I had to go to my first original love. It's Mark Marin. Okay. Yeah. WTF. Because 
he, I really feel like he's not the father of podcasting, but he is uh, the person that solidified that this is a medium that should be respected. Yeah. And it works. I mean, and it was the President Obama episode. Yeah, yeah, totally. That told the world that this is a medium that's staying. It's the fastest grown medium since the television. Yeah, it's, it's insane. It's and insane. so, yeah, Mark Maron, first love. Awesome. Number four, most embarrassing stage moment. Dude, I have so many. No. <laughs> See, I have so many that that's not even funny because my life is a walking Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> moment. Um, I was playing, I'll, I'll, here's one that just comes to mind, but I have like 20 others that it was playing in a rock band in like a stadium situation and i was i had this like guitar that was like jagged and weird shape and head banging you move around and (laughs) i was just going way too hard and the guitar hit me in the face on my eye and I remember thinking that, oh, that kind of hurt. I'm going to walk this way and kind of yeah. check on things. And all I remember seeing is looking at the drummer, and he's just kind of going, <laughs> like, I feel like it's all mute. And he's just going like this, and, like, members start looking. And I feel like my side of the stage is kind of like just dead quiet. Oh, my God. And, dude, blood was just pouring down out of my eye. Oh. <laughs> and then I, And then I just – turned and looked at the audience and I just I don't know I kind of felt like a figure skater moment in that moment I just went <laughs> and then like the whole crowd was just like ah because it was a rock show it's, it's supposed to be blood I guess yeah but uh like that was, was truly wrong. hardcore oh dude I fell off stages I've crashed in the guitar cabinets not on purpose Kurt Cobain style whatsoever. yeah 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 but that is like one moment of it was super embarrassing but in my personality, it's like, oh, this is a joke. This I love is perfect. it. That's amazing. And last question, favorite Nashville venue? People kind of hate on 12th and Porter a lot because of the size and just loudness. But there's something like grimy about it I like, if that makes any sense. Because I'm a that rocker at heart. Sense, yeah. Exit in too. See, it's that, that that grimy aspect because I'm just all about I'm all about the dirt, yeah. and the filth of things. I, I don't know what that is about me. Yeah. I, I don't understand that, but that's always been a pattern in my life. That, yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show. How can people listen to your show? Connect with you, socials, website, all of that good stuff. Yeah, I tell you, you can go to smipodcast.com for everything and of course we're on every streaming platform you can probably think of surviving the music industry and all the socials gotta do the the grams and the books right so at smi podcast at smi podcast Mm -hmm. and any any tips or things you want to give away about the upcoming season man it's fun like i'm i feel like i'm catching like a lot of like legends and I'm doing a lot more talks this year, too. And so, like, anywhere from, like, Joe Diffie to Stella Parton to Jeff Hanna, but still capturing, like, Natalie Hemby and, like, the Luke Dicks of the world. And so a lot of artists, a lot of songwriters, doing some managers. Uh, so, yeah. I love it. Well, we're going to do a deep dive on how you created that podcast. So, again, people can find that at madeinmusic.com. Go to the show notes page. But... Brandon, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This is just an absolute blast for me. I hated it. It was the worst. <laughs> it was the worst time ever. That's why I got to wear these. You do. It's you not can, to be you vain. Look at me. I just can't let you see my eyes to tell you the truth. You're sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Done. It's awesome. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Appreciate man. Appreciate it. And that is the end of our main interview, but... 
just like your favorite movie, there's always the bonus material that goes beyond the feature presentation, and that is what we have in store for you in our deep dive today. See, we have a podcast, the Made It Music Podcast, Brandon has his podcast, and many other musicians we know also have podcasts, and many of you guys, the listeners, have been asking us about how to start a podcast, because it really can make a big difference in a music career. And so, that's why we decided to make Making a Podcast the very topic for the deep dive for this episode. If you would like to check out this deep dive where we chat with Brandon about how to build a podcast from the ground up, you can get access to that for free at madeitmusic.com. This deep dive, as well as all of the others from this season of our podcast, are available right there on the homepage. You can just go to madeitmusic.com, and the sign-up form to get access will be right there. You can't miss it. And make sure you check out the show notes and resources for this episode if you would like to at madeitinmusic.com slash 140. And last thing, I want to leave you with a little bit of help for surviving the music industry. One of the hardest things to learn on your own is music theory. And that is why we started our own YouTube series with the very talented Alyssa Campbell. We have a whole series of YouTube videos that will teach you the basic fundamentals of music theory totally for free. If you would like to get access to this music theory crash course that we have created on YouTube, all you need to do is go to fullcirclemusic.com slash theory. Again, that's fullcirclemusic.com slash theory. To send you off today, we're actually going to leave you with one of Alyssa's newest songs. This is the title track from her new EP, Megaphone. Anymore. Na 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 na.